morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. If you are not familiar with your Bible, if you open your uh, book to the middle and you find Psalms, just go to the right and eventually you'll hit the book of Proverbs. We will come back to the Gospel of John in the month of August, but we are spending the month of July in a five-week series on the book of Proverbs. And the title of this series is Summer Wisdom. Now, I personally advocated for a different title. I wanted to call this series Proverbs, I Pity the Fool, okay? As an obvious homage to one of my childhood heroes, the great Mr. T. But the other pastors wouldn't let me, and so here we are. In any case, we are here with some summer wisdom. We are God's people, and we need God's wisdom in order to live well in God's, world, in God's world. And so where do we go to get the wisdom that we need for that purpose? We go to God's Word. So let's give our attention to God's Word. I want to invite you, if you're able and willing, to stand with me. And we'll read together from Proverbs chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To understand wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. The one who has ears to hear, let them hear it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come seeking the wisdom that comes from you. And we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to make it known to us. So open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, so that we might receive from your hand. We come under the authority of your word and ask that it would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have a wonderful earthly father, and I'm so grateful to God for him. And as I reflect on the wonderful upbringing and childhood that I had, the way that my dad raised me in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, there's a lot of things that I'm really grateful for. I'm uh, grateful for his provision. I'm grateful that there was always food on the table. I'm grateful for the trips that he took us on. I'm grateful for the baseball games that he was present at, performances, all that kind of stuff. I'm grateful for dad jokes. There was a lot of those. A lot of dad jokes. No? All right. I wish you had as many in your house as I did in mine. But a particular object of of my gratitude as as I think about it, especially as I reflected this week, I'm particularly grateful for the wisdom that my father shared with me. As I as I think about sort of the movie of my childhood and particularly my adolescence, there's there's clips that are sort of punctuated throughout of my dad just speaking wisdom to me, whether it was just riding in the car, going somewhere, or sitting around the house, or, or sharing a meal together. 
I have, I have very vivid memories from my adolescence of my father sitting with me, talking with me, and helping me to understand and interpret my experience of the world. And the book of, the book of Proverbs is meant to be read with that sort of concept in your mind. We read the book of Proverbs almost as if uh, with an image in our minds of, of an, older, an older man. A man, maybe he's got a little gray in his hair, maybe he's a little thin on top. Picture him sitting by the fire, leaning forward in his chair, and he's looking at his adolescent son. His son has finally put his phone away. He's leaning forward, he's listening to his dad, and his dad is looking at him and he's saying, buddy, I've been watching, I've been listening, I've collected some insight in my journey through this life, and and I want to share it with you. I want to impart that wisdom to you. I want to invite you to come and be wise. That's the message of the book of Proverbs, and that's the invitation that our Heavenly Father holds out to us in the pages of this book. That's what we're going to be considering over the next five weeks. This morning, I want us to make just two points as we introduce this series and consider this text. The two points are going to be these. Number one, we need wisdom to live well. We need wisdom to live well. And number two, we need the fear of the Lord to be wise. We need the fear of the Lord to be wise. We're going to make our way through these two points, and then we'll make some application as we close. Point number one, we need wisdom to live well. Let me give you just a few words about the genre of this book and how we're supposed to read it. If you have familiarity with your Bible and with the Old Testament, you know that the Bible begins with the five books of the law, which reveals uh, God's nature and God's character. It tells us how we can live in relationship with Him and experience blessing the blessing of life with God. That's the first five books, the books of the law. In addition to the books of the law, you have the the historical books, which tell the story of Israel as God's people, as he went with them in their journey to the promised land and their eventual exile and return. Then you have the prophets, the prophets who, who were commissioned by God to come and to speak to the people of God, to apply the law to Israel's life. But then you have another kind of literature as well. Another collection of books that are commonly referred to as the wisdom literature. It's the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Proverbs. And these books, they do something a little bit different. These books of the wisdom literature invite us to consider the major questions of life. What sort of world is this that we're living in? And how is it that we're able to manage our lives and flourish as we live in this world. Those are, the, that, those are the subjects that the wisdom literature takes up and invites us to think about. The title of the, the book of Proverbs, which makes a significant contribution to the answers to these questions, the title of this book comes from chapter 1, verse 1. It says it's the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that Solomon wrote the whole book. In fact, we know that he didn't write the whole book. It means that wisdom is generally associated with Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus himself. So Solomon uh, is broadly sort of associated with wisdom in the same way that the Psalms are broadly associated with King David or the way that Disney trivia would be associated with Paul Gilbert, right? When you think of the subject, you think of the person. They just sort of go together. So the Proverbs are given to us as a consideration of wisdom, and they give us the purpose statement of the book, In verses 2 through 4, to know wisdom and instruction, 
to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. What is Proverbs for? Proverbs gives us wisdom. And now, why is this important? Why do we need wisdom literature? Why do we need a book like Proverbs? If we have the law, if we have the history of how Israel lived or didn't live under the law, if we have the prophets correcting bad application of the law, then what more do we need? What more do we need? Well, it turns out there's quite a bit more that we need. Think about the answers to these questions. How do you respond when someone flatters you or criticizes you? How should you handle big-picture financial issues in your life, things like debt and saving for retirement and leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children? What are the qualities that you should look for in a friend? These are questions that the law is not going to speak to. These are questions of wisdom, and Proverbs is going to speak to these issues that are going to be important for us as we make our way through life. But what about the bigger questions, the the sort of hairier, scarier questions of life? These kinds of questions. Whom should I marry? Should I go get an MBA? Should I go to seminary? Should I go to law school? Should I take that job or this job? How about this one? What What am I supposed to do with my life? Where does the Bible tell us that? You know, I, I, so many Christians come to these big questions and they get, they get paralyzed by this feeling that they have this weighty responsibility before the Lord to divine God's secret plan for their life. That that's the expectation that God has of them. Like life is one big game of Marco Polo that you play with God, right? You're constantly sounding him out, trying to figure out where he is and what he wants you to do. But the wisdom literature helps us understand that God doesn't call you to peer into a crystal ball to figure out His will for your life. God calls you to be wise. He calls you to be wise. And we need wisdom to live well. And Proverbs is given to help us on that journey. Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. The first nine chapters are longer discourses that explain and unfold for us what the nature of wisdom is. And then beginning in chapter 10, there's a shift in the writing style. It switches from, from more of a, of a poetic, uh, or excuse me, more prose to, to a more poetic approach. You have a collection beginning in chapter 10 of, of pithy and to-the-point sayings. Most of them are, are one statement in two lines, three Hebrew words followed by three Hebrew words. And these Proverbs are meant to be, meant to be tight interesting, poignant, and memorable. And they're given to make us wise. They're given to make us wise. Now, who is Proverbs written to address? We see in verse 4, these Proverbs are written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is the father speaking to his adolescent son. Here's what it looks like to be wise. Here's what it looks like to move from simplicity to understanding from youth to maturity and wisdom. So some of you might be saying, awesome, this is not for me. I'm not a youth. I can check out. Not so fast. We have a parenthetical statement in verse 5. It's not just for the young and the simple. It's also for the aged and the wise. Listen to verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. This is an imperative, an urgent command that's given to the older and wiser among us. And this is the great news that meets us when we open the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of God 
It's for everyone. It's for Christians of all ages. There's always deeper to go into the wisdom of God. In fact, you know you're talking to a, a, a truly wise older person when you hear them acknowledge that wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom is meant to be a lifelong pursuit. It's a lifelong vocation for us as we follow Jesus. It's such a thrill to me when I hear of, of older men and women who are jumping in and participating and digging deep in the Bible studies that we offer here. That's such a gift. We need that. The pursuit of wisdom is for everyone, and it is a lifelong vocation. And Proverbs invites us into that vocation. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? My favorite definition for wisdom is the one that is articulated by the pastor Eugene Peterson. He says, wisdom is skillful living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. The art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. The wise person is the one who knows the right thing and the godly thing to do in every circumstance, even in circumstances, and especially in circumstances, where the rules of morality don't apply in clear ways. When life isn't black and white, you need wisdom to navigate the gray. And that's really important. Wisdom and knowledge is about more than just mere information, okay? Insight, knowledge, and wisdom, this is something more than just information. And this is so important for our day and our age. It's not the wisdom age, it's the information age, right? Do you get the difference? We carry around like the entire sum total of information of all of human history in our pockets. But are we any more wise? Are we? I don't believe that we are. Wisdom is more than having information. It's, it's having the ability to turn that information into knowledge that you need to live skillfully. And how do you acquire that? How do you acquire that skill? You do it by experience, by careful observation and reflection and application over a long period of time. That's another important message for us to learn in our instant gratification culture, isn't it? It's a microwave culture. But wisdom is a crockpot meal that takes a really long time to finish. You know, there's a reason that we often associate knowledge and wisdom with age. There's a reason that's true. Older saints have wisdom to live skillfully because they've learned through disciplined practice over time how to be wise. Let me illustrate the difference between information and, and real knowledge and wisdom here uh, with, a, with a funny sort of example. Uh, Pete Butler is one of our elders. You probably knew that. You probably didn't know that Pete is actually the reigning senior national champion of cycling. Did you know that? Number one in the U.S. Pretty great, right? Not only that, Pete has qualified to race for Team USA in the Senior World Championships a little later this year. Pretty cool. So Pete, he knows, he knows some, some bicycle racing. Now, my son Titus, he's in here this morning. He's eight years old, and he has just got this bike thing figured out, right? He's a great bike rider. All my kids are. Titus does a great job. So let's just say for a minute that I decide as one of those dads that I'm going to make my kid the greatest bike racer who ever lived, right? So I'm going to put Titus with Pete. And he's gonna, Pete's going to teach him everything he knows about cycling. So they're going to get together every afternoon for three hours. And Pete is going to tell him everything. He's going to pour everything he knows into him. He's going to talk to him about all the technical stuff. Things like technique, torque efficiency, 
functional thresholds, VO2 maxes, even stuff like how and when to shave your legs to decrease draft, right? All the important stuff. He's going to teach him composition books full of information. And after doing this for about nine months, Pete says, all right, that's it. I've taught Titus everything he knows about riding a bike. It's time for him to go to the race. Well, at that point, Titus gets on the bike for the first time since he started this process and goes to the race. What's going to happen? He's not going to dominate. He's going to have all the information, but he's not going to have the knowledge because he has not He doesn't have the true knowledge because true knowledge and true wisdom, it requires information that's applied through disciplined practice over a long period of time. That's the kind of wisdom that we need to live skillfully. Wisdom is skillful living. Second thing we want to say in defining wisdom, wisdom is cosmic design. Proverbs 3.19 says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. To another bit of wisdom literature, the book of Job, we hear Job say in chapter 28, from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? God understands the way to it and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and he declared it. He established it and searched it out and he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding. Here's what we're meant to understand from those texts. Wisdom is cosmic design. What we call weather patterns, Scripture calls the wisdom of God. What we call gravity or electromagnetism or the turning of the seasons or the orbit of the earth around the sun in such a way that the earth never gets too close so as to be consumed by fire and never gets too far away from the sun so as to become an ice block. Scripture calls that the wisdom of God. It's God's cosmic design. Because God is the one who's designed the cosmos, because he's designed the world, he's the one that gets to dictate how it works best. That's his wisdom. And our wisdom is to learn the way that God's designed the world to work and then to live in accordance with it. That's our responsibility as the created things. And here's what happens. Here's what wisdom teaches us. When we stay within God's design, we flourish. And when we step out of God's design, we languish. So in marriage, be faithful to your spouse. Live in a sacrificial way toward them. Place your needs above theirs. Your marriage will flourish. Commit adultery, neglect the needs of your spouse, and your marriage will suffer. In regards to your health, eat and drink in moderation. Exercise and be active, and you will thrive in your health. Cast off all restraint, be undisciplined in those areas, and you'll be unhealthy. The wise person sees the wisdom of God in the way that he's ordered the world and then chooses to live in submission to that design. The fool does the opposite. The fool turns away from the wisdom of God. Verse 7, the second part says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the call that's going to resound from the book of Proverbs from the beginning to the end. Don't be a fool. Turn toward wisdom. Turn away from foolishness. 
We could use the words of the great theologian Dwight Schrute from The Office. My favorite Dwight quote, he says, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. That's pretty biblical. Cosmic design is the wisdom of God. And this is, guys, this is such an important thing for us to to recognize and to clearly articulate in the midst of a culture that prizes freedom and the kind of freedom that has no boundaries. Freedom that isn't impinged upon by any external authority, even a sovereign creator. Our culture uh, prizes the freedom to be self-determining, to choose or to be whoever and whatever you want. And we need to understand this. The point of decision for us in wisdom and foolishness comes when our desires put us in opposition to God's design. That's when we have to make a choice toward foolishness or toward wisdom. And we need to understand this as well. Whenever God's word, whenever God's design puts a fence between you and something that you want and says that thing that you want, you can't have that. We need to understand God's not trying to rob us of anything in that moment. Do you understand that? He's trying to lead you into something better than what you desired for yourself. He's trying to lead you into a greater experience of joy in obedience to Him, in accordance with His design for the world than anything that you could get in pursuing your own way. Oh, this is so important. Wisdom as cosmic design means... Live according to God's design and you will experience blessing most of the time. Most of the time. We need to nuance this just a little bit. Wisdom is proverbial. It's proverbial. A proverb isn't meant to be read like a promise. They aren't given as guarantees that doing right right in in the here and now is going to lead to the result that you want every single time. The world is beautifully designed with cosmic order and cosmic design and cosmic wisdom, but it is under the curse of sin. And sometimes we will make the right choice and still end up with the wrong result. I was just talking to a woman. She doesn't go to our church this past week. She has an adult son who is making a shipwreck of his life, has cast off the faith that he was taught as a young man. She made the comment, I'm worried about him, I'm stressed and I'm praying over him, but I'm just really claiming that promise of Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So I know that he's, he's going to be okay. And we have to be just so careful with that. We have to be so careful about the genre and, and the way that God has designed for these truths to be read. Proverbs 22.6 tells a general truth, but it's not the whole truth. Because that woman's son might be a fool who rejects the teaching of his mother. So we have to be careful that we don't absolutize any individual saying. We have to understand that that a proverb expresses the general truth about the way that God's world works most of the time. But there are times when we will choose the path of wisdom and we won't flourish. And sometimes that, that, that languishing is going to take a very long time to resolve. Sometimes it'll be for an extended season. We see that in the life of Job. We see that preeminently in the experience of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who always chose what was right, who always chose in accordance with God's design, and still he suffered greatly. 
We have to be careful and mindful that the point of the proverb, the Proverbs is not to offer you a formula for today, but to give you wisdom to guide you and direct you through all of life. Live in accordance with God's cosmic design, and generally speaking, your life will be better. And even if, even if God's ways and God's wisdom don't deliver in the short run, as Mark Futato says, you can bank on the wisdom of God in the end. You can bank on the wisdom of God in the end. Wisdom is skillful living within God's cosmic design, and we need wisdom to live well. Second point, we need the fear of the Lord to be wise. We need the fear of the Lord to be wise. Verse 7 gives us the theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is the fear of the Lord? Many people, when they, when they think about the fear of the Lord, they think about the fear that a child has for a violent and abusive father. They associate the fear of the Lord with something that's, that's menacing and unpredictable and terrifying. And brothers and sisters, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. Mark Futato says that in its Hebrew meaning, fear is awe coupled with trust. It's awe coupled with trust. You might want to write that in the margin of your Bible right there at Proverbs 1-7. Fear is awe coupled with trust. It's not, a, it's not a cowering dread at the prospect of what God might do to me. It's a slack-jawed amazement at who He is. It's, it's reverence and wonder at the immensity of His glory. It's a willing surrender to His, his perfections. It's a deep desire to please Him and to honor Him as God, not so that you can get things from Him or keep bad things from happening to you, but because of how worthy He is and how beautiful He is. This awe of God, it's mingled with trust, with a deep-rooted assurance that all of this expansive glory is aimed at our good and our joy. It's a trust that is able to sing with faith what we sang this morning. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures, and he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. This fear of the Lord, this awe coupled with trust, it's the beginning of knowledge. We start with it, but we don't leave it behind. We carry it with us as we make progress in the Christian life, as we journey into wisdom. And as we carry this fear of the Lord with us, it has a transformative effect on us. It begins to change us from the inside out. And there's three ways in the book of Proverbs we're going to see that this fear of the Lord is going to change us. First, it's going to change our minds. Proverbs 2.5 says, If you receive my words, you will understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is given to us in the body of teaching that's here in the Word of God. This is a body of knowledge that must be learned and studied and internalized. That's why we prioritize gathering on the Lord's day, to hear the preaching of God's Word. That's why we invite you to come Sunday after Sunday to be here, to sit under God's Word with God's people. It's why we encourage you to prioritize the, the daily prayerful reading and meditation on God's Word. It's so important. The fear of the Lord will change the way that you think about yourself, about God, and about the world. The second area in which it'll, it'll transform you is in the area of your will. It'll transform your will. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord will make a difference in the decisions you make about your behavior. 
If you fear the Lord, you will flee sexual immorality. You will tell the truth about yourself, even when telling the truth is costly. You will love your neighbor. You will prioritize their salvation and their comfort over your own comfort. You will serve and love others. You will take risks for the gospel when you learn the fear of the Lord. As you go deeper into this, this experience of awe coupled with trust, it will transform your will. And thirdly, it'll transform your affections. Proverbs 14, 26 through 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord will rearrange the furniture of your inner life. It'll, it'll teach you to love the things that God loves and to turn away from and hate the things that God hates. It will give you comfort in your affliction. It'll give you confidence in uncertainty. And it'll give you courage in times of adversity. The fear of the Lord will transform your mind, your will, and your affections. And this fear of the Lord, it begins with seeing and delighting in who God is. And this is the beginning of wisdom. We need the fear of the Lord to be wise. So, how do we cultivate this fear of the Lord? How do we grow in wisdom? Let me give you three application points. Three simple ways we can grow in this. Number one, commit yourself to the careful study of God's Word. Commit yourself to the careful study of God's Word. We are able to know the fear of the Lord, and we are able to know wisdom because it's been given to us in this book. And brothers and sisters, there is no enterprise that is more profitable than the study of God's Word. There is no investment that will yield a greater return and pay greater dividends in your soul than the investment that you'll make in the Word of God. I read a story a while back in the New York Times about a woman named Ann Scheiber. She worked for the IRS in the early 1900s. She never made more than $5,000 a year. And after she retired in 1944, she lived in a tiny rundown apartment in New York City. And every day she would make it her practice to go to the New York Public Library and pour over the, the, the Wall Street Journal that was available there. And she would pay particular interest to the investing section because she was invested in the market. She took, had taken her pension and invested it, and she made a particularly uh, uh, fortuitous gamble on a little company called Coca-Cola. And her initial investment of $5,000 when she retired, at, by the time of her death, at the age of 101, was worth $22 million. That's a great return on your investment. But what the Bible says is, this is an even better one. There is no more worthy investment of your life than the one that you will make in this book. So commit yourself to the careful study of God's Word. Second, cultivate humility and holiness. There's a fascinating connection that the book of James, which is sort of the New Testament book of wisdom, makes between growth and wisdom and the pursuit of humility and holiness. James 3, beginning in verse 13, says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. If you would be wise, if you would learn the fear of the Lord, pursue humility and holiness. Repent of your sin. Be entreatable. Be gentle towards your opponents. Live peaceably. In our age of internet outrage, how badly do we need to recover this? Cultivate humility and holiness. Tell the truth about yourself. Confess your sin. Find an, This church is full of older, mature believers. Find one. Velcro yourself to them. And ask them to teach you the wisdom of God. Cultivate humility and holiness. And third and finally, look to Jesus. Wisdom begins with the person and work of Jesus. This is the point the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What a sentence that is. Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus understood and perfectly lived in keeping with cosmic design. He lived more skillfully than any human being who ever lived. Jesus is also the power of God. At the cross, he experienced the full weight of the punishment that was due for our rebellion against God's cosmic design. And in doing this, he canceled sin and broke its power over us. And in the wisdom of God, there is, there is justice and equity. In the cross, God judged in Christ the full penalty that was due because of our sin. And what that means is if you are in Christ, there is no judgment left for you. Isn't that good news? This is the wisdom of God. It finds its ultimate expression in the wise life and powerful death of Jesus Christ. And our wisdom is to see Jesus for who he truly is and to give ourselves wholly and gladly to him. Tim Keller says, what it means to be a Christian is to let Jesus possess you. And of course, the word possess sounds negative because anything else that possesses you is going to drive you crazy. But Jesus says, I'm the only one. If I possess you, I will drive you absolutely sane. Would you be wise today? Would you learn the fear of the Lord? Come to Jesus. Let him possess you. Let him disciple you into wisdom and into the fear of the Lord as you learn his perfections. Coming to Jesus is the beginning of wisdom and skillful living. Let's pray.